0: Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. You guys are going to have to bring up the sanctuary lights. Thank you. Luke chapter 12. We're going to look at the first 12 verses this morning as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke. You all there? I'm starting anyway. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Let's pray together. Lord, each week we are thankful and grateful and appreciative of your word. And each week, Lord, that you've given us, each week that you wait and have not come back for us, gives us a new and fresh opportunity to see you revealed on the pages of Scripture, that we might know you more and love you more dearly than when we began. I pray that we would be changed by the hearing of your word And as we study it this morning, change to be more like Jesus, to be conformed more into His image from glory to glory until the day that we see Him face to face. We thank You and praise You for these things. We do it in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. First century synagogues did not have electronic sound systems, but they did have a loudspeaker system. It was a living loudspeaker. Allow me to explain. The sermon was given in the synagogue each Sabbath and on the festivals by a man called the Darshan. To show his respect for God's word, the Darshan did not speak in a loud voice. He communicated his words in a low voice or a whisper to another man. He was called the Amora. The Amora then broadcast the sermon to the congregation acting as a kind of living loudspeaker system this living loudspeaker system is really the background of jesus comments here to his disciples when jesus said what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops His disciples would have thought of the whispers of the Darshan being broadcast by the Amora. Now you and I don't think about that because we're not familiar with these first century synagogue customs. And that's why we sometimes go a little bit sideways on these verses. But this is what his hearers would have thought of. What I'm suggesting is a little clearer in a parallel passage from the Gospel of Matthew. I'll read from chapter 10. I want you to just listen to the words and notice the similarities with what we've just read in Luke. This is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. Jesus is speaking and he says, Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, Do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops." Jesus was giving his disciples an illustration that they would understand. He would be like a darshan whispering to them what to say through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They were his amora, broadcasting his message wherever they went. Now these verses seemed a little harsh at first, didn't they? As if Jesus was telling you that you are no better than a Pharisee and that he's going to expose your hypocrisy for all the world to see. He knows about the argument you had with your wife this morning. You didn't help get the kids ready. Your wife got angry. You had words. You got in the car. Nobody talked to each other. Get out of the car and we're all smiles. (laughs) And there's now this nagging fear as we're reading these verses. Oh my gosh. Gene was behind us. He's going to expose us for all the world to see. That's not true. This is not at all what these verses are about, thankfully. These verses are hopeful. Jesus is going to whisper his word and his words to you to strengthen you as his witness in a hostile world, and then you're going to broadcast those words. We'll organize our thoughts around two points. Number one, Jesus whispers in your ear to prepare you as his witness. And number two, Jesus whispers in your ear when you present his witness. First of all, in verses 1 through 7, Jesus whispers in your ear to prepare you as his witness. I think the horse whisperer came first, at least in our popular culture. Some of you might remember it was a book that was made into a really bad movie about a guy. I don't think I saw the whole movie, but I know about it. It's about a guy who could make connections with disturbed horses. After that, a number of others began to use the phrase to describe their training techniques. There is a dog whisperer. There is a bird whisperer. There's probably a whisperer for any domesticated animal. Maybe not fish, I don't know. But there's even a series of parenting books now called Secrets of the Baby Whisperer. It's an English nanny who has a remarkable, sensitive connection to your baby and can tell you, you know, how to raise your baby. And Jesus preceded all of them. Obviously, I am not the congregation whisperer this morning. You should have been here first service. Man, those people were dead. I mean, I was going to call people's funeral home, but... It was bad. It was really bad. They warmed up after a while. but Now anyway, back to our topic here. Jesus preceded all of them. We could respectfully call him the sheep whisperer. He once said, my sheep hear my voice. Believers are sheep and we hear the voice of our shepherd. Now this idea of whispering, borrowed as we've seen from the synagogue service, gives Jesus' comments a personal intimate quality. A whisper is a gentle, loving communication between you and the Lord. Jesus wanted to encourage his disciples, not bust them for their secret hypocrisy. And so let's see his encouragement. Verse one, in the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In the midst of this multitude of people, Jesus was concerned, he says, for his disciples first of all. And so that's precious to me. You are first of all, first and foremost, the one Jesus cares for. I know sometimes people, even Christians, you can feel lost, you can feel alone, you can feel as though no one understands you, no one knows what's going on in your life, no one's reaching out to you. The one day you wanted somebody to say, how are you doing today, because you were ready to tell them the truth, no one even shook your hand or said anything. You're the one person in the auditorium this morning that no one had fellowship with. Jesus sees you in that crowd, in this crowd, in any crowd, in an innumerable multitude of people. And he cares for you, first of all. And so that's just a lie. Whenever you feel lonely and alone, you're just believing a lie. Because Jesus said what? I will never, not ever, never leave you or forsake you. And so you just need to re- re- rebuke that thought. You need to think about what the Lord has said he loves you and he, has, he will never leave you or forsake you. Now His care is not restricted to you as a believer. Believers are in a world in which there are an innumerable multitude of people and they need to hear about Jesus. They might be rushing along, doing their business, seeming successful, but they need to hear about the Lord. And the Lord cares for them through you. And He wants to reach them through you. And so... Uh, Jesus whispers to you about his care for you and then about his concern for the lost. Now we begin here with Jesus giving a warning about the Pharisees. He had just been exposing the Pharisees as men who looked good on the outside but were corrupt and perverse on the inside. They had a formal religion but no relationship with God. In chapter 11, Jesus Compared the Pharisees to graves. Outside, they were well kept and even manicured. But inside, a grave is filled with decay and death. Jesus then gave two more illustrations that say exactly the same thing. Leaven is the word for yeast. You can't really see the yeast, it works inside the dough corrupting and rotting it so it will rise and swell and so you see the the loaf of bread and it's pleasant to look at inside really it's corrupting and that's what makes it uh, swell and then he mentioned hypocrisy now this is a word that means simply to wear a mask actors on a stage would wear a mask when they played their characters once again there was an outward show while what was inside or behind the mask was hidden. Jesus said this kind of thing would not remain hidden. Verse 2, there is nothing covered that will not be revealed nor hidden that will not be known. God knows every heart. Eventually every heart will be revealed. And what he's saying here is this, God knows if a person has religion or if they have relationships. The Pharisees were offering the death, the leaven, the hypocrisy of an outward religion. Jesus' disciples, including you and I, are witnesses to the life-giving power of an inward relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Given this, you can expect to experience conflict and confrontation. And this is what Jesus is preparing for. He gets into some thoughts about persecution here so when he says beware the leaven of the pharisees and their hypocrisy he's saying look these guys have this outward form of religion you have the life of god that's going to bring you into conflict in fact you're going to get drugged before the authorities and persecuted and so jesus first whisper is a warning that you are in for some trouble from people who promote religion Now I suggest to you that the verses that follow are an encouragement that this sheep whisperer will stand by you to empower your witness in a hostile world. And so in verse 3 you read this. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. As I suggested earlier, typically we read this and understand that hypocrisy exists and Jesus is going to reveal it. Now that's true, but that's not what he means here. I remind you of the parallel passage where Jesus said, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And so Jesus is referring to something that he tells his disciples, not some terrible, perverse communication that you have going on in secret that no one knows about. Jesus was like this Darshan I mentioned, whispering his word to his disciples, who would be his Amora, spreading the gospel. They would find themselves going forth preaching the word. And in that sense, they would become the Darshan to someone else who would then go forth preaching the word. Jesus is giving a picture from the synagogue of broadcasting God's word person to person through the centuries. And so think of it. Without any modern technology whatsoever, without any electronic devices, the gospel has indeed spread just that way as men and women repeated the whispers of Jesus to others and so on and so on. I've mentioned it before, but this whole plan that Jesus had of reaching the world was really kind of foolish on the surface. That he would come and tell 12 guys, one of whom turned out to be a traitor, And that this would be his plan to reach the entire world for all the centuries in between his first and second coming. It doesn't make sense. In the blasphemous rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar, Judas is kind of the hero. And there's a line in one of the songs where he says to Jesus, Why did you come in such a backward time and in such a strange land? And the idea is, it's a a common thought that people have, why didn't Jesus come when there was modern technology so that everybody could hear about him? And it's because of what we're talking about here. Because he wanted the power of God to be on display. Not the power of modern electronics or loudspeaker systems or television satellites or any of that. Jesus came and said, I'm going to tell you guys these things. I'm going to go, the Holy Spirit's going to come live inside of you. You're going to tell other people. He'll live inside of them and they'll tell other people and so on and so on through the centuries. What do you guys think about that? That's lame, Jesus. All right, let's see how that... I, that's my plan, though, so let's, let's go with that. Let's, let's push forward with that and see how that works. And the result of it is that you're here today, a child of God. And you're telling others, and that's God's plan. Now, should we use technology? Can we? Sure, that's great. Use whatever's at your disposal. But this is what he's getting at. What he spoke to those men... Think of the upper room. Think of his great high priestly prayer. Think of the secrets that he shared with them that they recorded and shared with others. The spreading of the gospel would bring conflict and confrontation. It would bring persecution. Some would and still will be called upon to be martyred. And so he says in verses 4 and 5, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast you into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. It must be really frustrating for persecutors. Ever thought about that before? To be in the position of being a a persecutor of Christians? The worst that they could do is kill believers. And the believers don't seem to care. They look forward, past martyrdom, to entering heaven. Read the story of Stephen, the first Christian martyr in the book of Acts. He's kind of the template or the model for all future martyrs. While the stones were pelting his body, he was praying for his persecutors, seeing a vision of heaven opening for him and Jesus ready to receive him. Man, that takes all the fun out of persecuting somebody. Oh, yeah? I'm going to nail you with this rock. Oh, Lord, please forgive him. Hi, Lord, I'm almost there. You know, I mean, you just... ah. Oh. Had an effect on Paul the Apostle. A young man named Saul was there, a little while later in the book of Acts, Jesus would catch up to him on the road to Emmaus or on the road to uh, Damascus, one of those roads. <laughs> I had to catch myself so I didn't get called out for heresy afterwards. A lot of roads. All roads do not lead to God, by the way. anyway. The ones who should fear are the persecutors. Have you ever seen a movie where the hero is hopelessly outnumbered and overwhelmed, but he looks at his adversaries surrounding him and he gives them one last chance to surrender? <laughs> okay, guys, this is your last chance. You're under arrest. And he's, he's like going to get wiped out. But that's a good picture of the Christian witness when you're being persecuted. If you read not just the book of Acts, but in, into Fox's book of martyrs. I mean... These guys are being burned at the stake and they're still telling their persecutors that there's time for them to be saved and it just fries these guys. It drives them crazy. So much so that in Roman times there are stories about persecutors laying down their arms and joining the Christians on their way to be martyred and joining them as martyrs because of the genuineness and the sincerity of their witness. And so the ones who should fear are the persecutors. Unless they receive the witness of those they're murdering, they will be lost forever. Here it says they'll be cast into hell. Now I want you to think of the next words Jesus speaks as if you are the one facing persecution. You're about to be killed in some heinous manner and Jesus is whispering in your ear. Verse 6, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. While the stones are pelting you. While the fire is licking at you. As the executioner's axe is falling upon your neck. Jesus is reaffirming his love for you. You are the reason that God took on human flesh. You are the person Jesus died for to give eternal life. God cares for every sparrow. How much more, therefore, does he care for you? And so, yes, you're about to die physically. But you're of more value to God than sparrow. And you're about to enter eternity. He knows you so intimately that he keeps an inventory of your hairs. Let's just laugh right now and I won't make any bald jokes. How's that? Okay, there you go. So now I don't need to do it. But this is, I I, I don't know why, but I'm always gripped by this. And I always explain this because it just, we have this idea about your hairs being numbered. and, And I've heard before people say, God knows how many hairs you have. Well, that's true. Of course he does. But this is more than that. He has your hairs numbered. Now don't look under a microscope. You can't find the number. But every hair that you've ever grown on your head, some more, some less, uh, is its number. It had a number. And if another hair came and replaced it, it had another number. And there's an inventory sheet somewhere in heaven. In the vast recesses of heaven's books and you know libraries, there's a book of your hair's. And all the numbers of them and when they were lost, when they were cut, when they were singed, and I mean I see this like with in this microcosm, this tiny you know, what and you think, well, that's insane. But that's the idea here is that God cares for you so much that one of your hairs has a life of its own in heaven. And and angels know all about hair number seven thousand and three. Oh, that was a tough one, Lord. That was singed that day Gene was trying to light his pilot light and wondered if the gas was still on. That's how my dad taught me to light pilot lights. You just kind of turn, and then hopefully there isn't a big buildup of gas. But anyway, so do you understand? Do you understand this? You're being persecuted, and Jesus is there standing with you talking about the intimacy of his relationship with you. Persecution is in his plan And it's to have you draw even closer to Him by sharing in the fellowship of His sufferings. It's not just those who are about to be martyred who experience the whispers of Jesus. Every moment of your life, after you've become a Christian, Jesus is whispering in your ear, reaffirming His love. He promised you that once He ascended into heaven, He would send the Holy Spirit to be your comforter and constant companion. His still, small voice is the whisper of your Lord and Savior. And so you don't have to wait for martyrdom. It's happening right now. It's happening all the time as we would set aside the things of the world and all the things that crowd out God's voice and listen for it. And you'll always know it because it is gracious, it is merciful, it is forgiving, it is loving, it is accepting. A lot of times people ask me, you know, how do I know the will of God? This is happening, that's happening. And, and, you know, you can recognize the voice of God and you can recognize the voice of your adversary. Anytime that you're being condemned, anytime that you're being put down, anytime that fault is being found with you and, and, and you're being drawn away from God because of what a loser you are, well, that's not the Lord. The Lord is loving and accepting and forgiving and merciful and gracious. His mercies are new every morning. It's just that we don't tune ourselves to that hearing. In verses 8 through 12, Jesus whispers in your ear when you present His witness. These next verses make the most sense if you keep them in our context. Jesus was telling His disciples they would go forth witnessing, but they would meet with persecution. Why preach to these persecutors? Why risk martyrdom? Because unless they believe... The persecutors will be lost in hell for eternity. These next verses encourage you to witness, despite the conflict, despite the confrontation, out of compassion for those who are perishing. Think of Jesus on the cross repeatedly saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. That's the idea. Let me put it this way. These verses are not about you somehow blaspheming the Holy Spirit and therefore forfeiting your salvation. They are about the unsaved. They're about those who you witness to who go on rejecting the gospel. It is the unbeliever who risks eventually blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And so let's read verses 11 and 12 first. I want to do that because they set the scene that Jesus is describing in verses 8 through 12. And so verse 11... Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The disciples would be dragged before the religious leaders and questioned about their preaching and the power behind it. In those moments, in that very hour, Jesus said, they would be taught what to say. The Holy Spirit who lives within every believer, would whisper the word and the words of Jesus to them. The the book of Acts is filled with proofs of this promise. We already mentioned Stephen, the first martyr. Proceeding his death, he gave an incredible, spontaneous sermon. Another time, when Peter and John had been taken into custody for healing the lame man at the temple gate, Peter gave a masterful sermon... It was so full of God that the Jewish leaders didn't know what to do. Their reaction is recorded in Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Here's what it says. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. I think that really you could expand that. Not only they had been with Jesus, Jesus was with them. The Holy Spirit was giving Peter the boldness and the words to share. Because he was, in in the King James, I think it says he was an ignorant man. He was not a, a man that you would expect to be eloquent and to be able to give a defense. A few days earlier, he had been afraid of a little slave girl who was trying to expose him as a follower of Jesus, and he was speaking curse words, denying the Lord. But after Jesus rose from the dead, after Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, he could give a spontaneous sermon that blew the minds of the most learned religious leaders so that they didn't know what to think or say. By the way, this is not an excuse to be unprepared as a teacher of God's Word. It's not more spiritual to just be spontaneous. If you're taken into custody or spontaneously called upon to give a witness, then you can claim this promise and know that the Holy Spirit will whisper the words of Jesus to you. If you're called upon to teach a Sunday school class or something like that, and you have time to prepare, well, then you'd better study for it. And uh, you can sometimes tell the difference between spontaneous messages And messages that are prepared for. And I've given some spontaneous messages. I can tell the difference. So you probably could too. And so that's the scene Jesus was describing. A confrontation with religious authorities. Because of the witness given by disciples. Now verses 8, 9 and 10 will make sense to you. Verse 8. Also I say to you. Whoever confesses me before men. Him the son of man also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. I don't think Jesus was warning his disciples about forfeiting their salvation. I think he was reminding them of the consequences if their persecutors rejected their witness. A disciple is witnessing to hostile unbelievers using empowered words that are whispered to him or her by the Holy Spirit. If the persecutor will believe and confess Jesus before men... Jesus will save him if the persecutor will not believe then he is denying Jesus and will remain lost and then Jesus said in verse 10 anyone who speaks a word against the son of man it will be forgiven him but to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit it will not be forgiven again it is the persecutor who is in view. The very nature of the scene implies that the persecutor is against the Son of Man. The believer has given a testimony and they've taken him or her into custody. They are against the testimony. They are against Jesus. In the book of Acts, after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, the Jewish authorities tried to silence and stifle the witness of the apostles. They spoke against Jesus. Still... They were repeatedly offered salvation, both as individuals and as a nation. There came a point, however, where they had finally and fully rejected the witness God provided them. The book of Acts ends with Paul the Apostle giving testimony, giving a witness to Jewish leaders. Some believed. Some continued to speak against Jesus. And so Paul said to them, Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. It was a watershed moment. It was a moment when God was saying, though individual Jews can be saved, though individual Gentiles can be saved, the nation of Israel as a whole, through their leaders, had fully, finally rejected the witness of Jesus Christ. They had, Jesus, they had John the Baptist... Well, before that, they had the prophets. They had John the Baptist. They had Jesus on earth for 33 and a half years. They had His ministry for three and a half years. Then they had the witness of the resurrection. Then they had the ministry, the powerful, empowered ministry of the apostles and disciples. And they rejected and they rejected and they kept speaking against the Son of Man Over and over again, though they were given opportunities to repent and be saved on a national basis, and finally Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, that is it. That's it. You have passed into the realm of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You have fully and finally rejected the message of Jesus Christ as a nation. God, in His grace, took that message and spread it now to the whole world of Jews and Gentiles and in his love and mercy for israel is not done with them we will still work with them and will bring them back to him but that's what's really going on here every sin can be forgiven as dennis agajanian is fond of reminding us jesus is a greater savior than you are a sinner every sin can be forgiven this blasphemy against the holy spirit is fully and finally rejecting jesus as lord and savior Refusing the forgiveness of your sins is the sin that cannot be forgiven should you die in your sins. Do you understand that? If you fully and finally reject Jesus and then die in your sins without Jesus as your Savior, you cannot be saved. You have blasphemed the Holy Spirit because He kept bringing you a witness, bringing you a testimony, and you kept calling Him a liar. You kept speaking against Him until finally it was too late. If you refuse the forgiveness of your sins, if you reject Jesus as your Savior, and you die in your sins, then you've rejected the witness given to you. This is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Let me put it another way. Believers cannot commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because it involves unbelief. You have to die in unbelief in order for to be committing this sin. People call me... Uh, Very seriously, three or four times a year I get calls from people, and I know they represent a lot of other people, who come across this passage and others about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, they want to know if they've committed it. Because we all fall, and we all fail, and we do things that we're not proud of, and we're sinners, and we continue to sin, and, and then they hear some teaching somewhere maybe that indicates maybe you have committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And it's a very serious issue. I try and take a little bit of the edge off of it. And, and I say, have I committed this sin? And I say, well, let me ask you one important question. Are you still alive? And they don't know. They say, are you there? Did you die? I mean, you know, yes, I'm still alive. Okay, well, then, even if you had, you know, you, you couldn't have committed it because Jesus, when he spoke about it, he was talking to people and still giving them a chance to be saved. And, and so... And then I go on to explain to them, look, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is rejecting Christ fully and finally. It's, it's not forfeiting your salvation. It's not committing, you know, sins, even heinous sins after you're a believer. It is rejecting the witness of the Holy Spirit and remaining an unbeliever. Now, you and I are not dragged before magistrates and questioned about our faith in Jesus Christ. At least not yet. You and I are sometimes questioned about the Lord. Even though the stakes for us may not be as high, probably when you go to work tomorrow, nobody's going to threaten to kill you if you say something about Jesus. They might, and it might come to that, but you're, you know, they, they might make fun of you, they might call you a Jesus freak, or you know, make faces behind your back, or things like that, but they're probably not going to kill you. And so the stakes aren't as high, but the stakes for the unbelievers are just as serious. If they go on rejecting Jesus Christ, they're going to pass from life into death. They're going to be uh, forever in hell, separated from the love of God. More and more, we ought to believe that Jesus will whisper to us, giving us words to say so that we can share the joy and peace and power of our relationship with Him. Jesus is not as mean as we sometimes think He is. Now, I say that with all due respect because I know that we read these verses as if Jesus can hardly wait to deny us in heaven because of some fault or failing on our part here on earth. We read these verses sometimes as if the Lord is testing each word with his blasphemeter. <laughs> he's got an angel in heaven. He's got a, you, know, you know, I have a guardian angel. Your guardian angel's got a blasphemeter on him, you know, and, and it goes off when you're... Those are those weird sounds our sound system makes sometimes. Somebody's come in and the blasphemeter is interfering with the frequency. Have I blasphemed God? And, and it's like, you know, you know, I died to save you, and you're just blowing it. And and we're always in fear. And it's the not it's not the right kind of fear that we should have. There is no blasphemeter. Instead, the Lord is our shepherd, we're his sheep. He's the sheep whisperer, the one who knows us intimately. He makes a spiritual connection with us. He leads us and guides us into all things good and glorious. We just need to remain attuned to His voice, to the still small voice of His Spirit. Let's pray. Father, how grateful we are, how thankful we are that Your Word is full of forgiveness, full of amazing grace, Overflowing with an abundant mercy for us. There's no doubt that we fall and we fail, that we are short, Lord, of the things that we would like to do. With Paul the Apostle, we could each of us declare there are things we want to do that we don't, and things we don't want to do that we do. Nevertheless, you are working in our lives, working through our lives. You've given us the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us. And He guides and directs us as we listen. And I pray, Lord, that we would receive the understanding of how much You love us, of Your acceptance and grace, and that we would put aside these condemning thoughts, whether they come from ourselves or from the enemy of our souls or from things that we've been taught or heard over the years. Wherever they come from, I pray that we would be over them, be done with them, And that we would walk and live and exist in a realm of grace. If grace abounds, Lord, we won't find ourselves sinning as much. Because we will be walking next to the one that we love and who loves us. We'll be seeking, Lord, to please you from a heart that is pure not for any ulterior motive not to get anything but to give back to you Lord the love that you have shed so abundantly in our hearts and so free us Lord I pray from all of these dark and sinister thoughts that we sometimes have about you to receive your love and Lord may we attend to your voice earlier in chapter 11 you said that we should hear and obey very simple May we be those people, Lord, who on a very simple level know the power and the profound change hearing and obeying your word makes. We pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Let's stand together. God is so good to us to care for us in such a special way. In this crowd, whoever you are, the Lord is thinking of you first of all. And I don't know how that works. But the mind and heart of God are beyond me. And so even though he's thinking of me, most of all, he's also thinking of you most of all. And it's a beautiful thing. This love relationship that we have with the Lord, walk in it, live in it, enjoy it, spread it around because it's what everybody else needs and not just unbelievers. There's just a bunch of believers that need to know that we, uh, they need to, the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. A lot of knowledge of Jesus Christ, about Jesus, and, and different things. We need the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the grace that He brings into our lives. And so let's spread that as the Lord would give us wisdom to do so. May God bless and keep you. Some of the guys will be here afterwards to pray with you. If there's something on your heart that you'd like to share, special need or whatever, come forward and pray with the guys. May God bless you. Amen.
1: You are my home. Your promise never fails me And my desire is to follow you forever For you are good, for you are good For you are good to me Lord, you are good, Lord, you are good Lord, you are good me. You are my hope. You are my hope. And your promise never fails me. And my desire is to follow you forever. you are good to me for you are good for you are good for you are good to Jesus you're good Jesus you're good Jesus you're good Jesus you're good to me Jesus you're good Jesus you're Jesus, you're good to me. Amen. God bless you this week.